Hello and welcome. We have today with us Priti Sundar for conversation on this podcast. Priti, by qualification, is architect by profession, is a designer and yoga instructor by passion. Currently, she is based out of Bangalore. While her journey with yoga asana began when she was very young, her approach towards yoga as a holistic form of well-being began only a couple of years ago, and from there she has taken formal trainings and education to learn hatha yoga particularly. and that has become a tool to create more mental emotional and physical balance in her life she decided then to pursue her teacher training program in order to understand the subject better and to share her experience with practice with others earlier she was also conversing that she happened to uh, instruct somebody with certain yogasanas and she realized that there is a sort of a naturalness for that and so she actually took a 500 hour certified program to become a hatha yoga instructor so that's been her journey and through this conversation in the context of 13 we will be exploring what priti has to share and how it has allowed her to be with herself and we'll also be sharing some of our thoughts and background welcome to 13 13 is a podcast about being and creating in this podcast we acknowledge the mundane and celebrate the everyday Here we interact, read, and share experiences with an intent to be and to create. Your hosts for today are Prasanna and myself, Shantesh. Let's get started. To start with our example of thirteen, when we were about to start this platform, it came from a position of concern. of the situation of mental health particularly and both prasanna and i have dealt through our share of emotional mental turmoil and to start this platform also meant two things one was that i am exposing my vulnerable side to the people two professionally i am an architect uh, prasanna is uh, in his own industry working as a trainer and then to deviate from this field particularly for me it was very difficult that all these thoughts naturally came into picture that what would people think about me i am exposing my vulnerable side is that okay this that and the moment i realized perhaps that i am defining the role of an architect it eased the burden a bit it did not disappear but of course it was there for other 5 6 months and then it has allowed me to become who i am and i'm explore in this journey and i'm sure when you studied architecture then you decided to shift into a role of a designer leaving the core discipline of architecture was must have also been quite difficult and from there you also bring another shift towards yoga picking this up almost like a parallel profession the moment you take a 500 hour uh, uh, training program it's quite an intense program and so you bringing that sort of a commitment is one side but were there these questions these biases also preconditioned thoughts about yoga and what was it that helped you overcome this or bring that sort of mental clarity um for me i think as soon as i started having a regular yoga practice my i saw a shift in my priorities and it came quite naturally uh i think my previous attitude towards life was quite different it didn't matter if i enjoyed something or not um i just didn't want to be mediocre at what i did whether it was education or work i put a lot of pressure on myself and that wasn't really healthy for me i always also compared myself to other people and that pushed me to do things i didn't really want to do 
I was also more uh, materialistic in a way. Um, and somehow the switch to prioritizing physical and mental wellness quite, happened quite automatically with my regular practice. And I hope it'll stay with me for the rest of my life. Uh, health and wellness somehow now is my top priority, irrespective of what my career um, apart from that is, whether it's design or anything else that I might, I might come across. Um, this is what I want to prioritize for the rest of my life. And what I wish to work towards kind of shifted from external to internal, whether that's how I feel about myself or my relationship with learning or my hobbies or my relationship with the people around me. Uh, it really allowed me to be in the driver's seat, so to speak, and to have more control over my life. And I think that's, some, that's everything to someone who tends to uh, move towards having anxious tendencies. I grew to realize that your relationship with yourself is the most important one you'll ever have in your life. Uh, and if you have a healthy one, everything else will fall in place, whether that's your career or uh, your relationship with others. Everything falls in place once you start working on yourself. And once I realized that, that became a priority for me. So it was never about this or that, whether it was my past education or my current profession. Um, everything fell in place and uh, I liked the naturalness of it. So I just went with it. So interestingly, when you mentioned about your journey or shift from external to internal and Smriti, when we see as a human race, when it comes to exploring external things, we have explored almost every part of the earth and not just that we have gone on the moon, we have gone on the Mars now, but when it comes to internal journey, that's a kind of, you can say a blind spot for most of us, like what is happening there, we, we, do, we have not gone internal and when you say about external to internal how do you see uh, yoga and the other things which you have learned i don't know the exact uh, uh, concepts of yoga like hatha yoga or power yoga i don't know the difference but whenever it comes to yoga in general how can that help us in that internal journey or internal exploration Firstly, there's a common misconception that yoga is just a form of exercise, but it's so much more than that. Um, it's a tool to work with your body in order, order to work with your breath and to work with your breath in order to work with your mind. Chitta Vritti Nirodha is the reason we do yoga according to the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which means that it is that yoga is used to still the fluctuations of the mind. The end goal of yoga uh, is to be able to sit still with a still mind. Of course, there are innumerable physical and physiological benefits as well. But if you really look into how yoga or Ayurveda works with the energies of the body, also known as pranas, a lot of our problems begin in the mind and show up as different ailments, whether it's depression or anxiety or any other lifestyle disorder or disease. And through yoga, you learn to address and manage the root cause along with treating the symptoms. So you're not just treating the symptoms, you're starting at the mind, you're addressing those root causes. And that is so powerful. And that's what helps us work with our mind. And I think it happens quite naturally as well. You don't have to go into it thinking, okay, this is going to be the effect of my uh, practice. Uh, with a regular practice, things kind of fall in place and you start noticing these changes within yourself. And I think that's how it happens, how it works. Also, the word yoga in the context when we use uh, in Marathi, at least we say yoga, uh, which means uh, everything falling in place or everything coming together. There is that sense of unity. There is a sense of oneness. Uh, what you said absolutely kind of resonates in, in that context when uh, could you repeat that Patanjali's uh, quote? Chitta Vritti Nirodha. And, and what does it mean you meant? 
to still the fluctuations of the mind absolutely like to still the fluctuations of the mind but i also heard in that that when you still the fluctuations in your mind in the experience there is that sense of mind body spirit being one what is that experience like can that be even described i think uh, <laughs> when yogis practice yoga i guess some people are working towards salvation or getting out of all of um the bonds of the world uh, so it's not something that you can really describe uh, and it's not something everyone's able to achieve as well right um, it's just i think you just keep practicing and one day it clicks one day you you kind of realize you're in control and um, and it goes from there so when we are talking about the experience and i completely get that the more you try to explain or try to describe that experience the more you will dilute that maybe so that's why it is difficult to explain it but when it comes to uh, the ego of a person so i am doing yoga and when me and yoga become one have you experienced that and it's a more like a yes or no question rather than trying to explain what exactly i that experience is but my question is because when i say that i am doing yoga i am doing a course or i am spending so much time or i am doing an exercise for so much time so there is a i i i coming there and when that i goes and only yoga remains have you been through that um i think it's something i struggle with for sure um detaching myself from the expectation of the practice also separating uh, yourself from that iness is an important part of that yoga letting go of your ego is an important experience of yoga but obviously i struggle with it on a daily basis especially in our time where there are so many yoga instructors around me for example uh, and there is already that level of comparison that comes when you're looking at someone else's instagram for example oh she can do this i can't do this yet um, but how i've learned to deal with it is that i kind of separate myself from the outcome of my practice um, i just go into it to practice that's all i want to do it doesn't matter if i'm able to achieve something because our body is different every day what you might be able to do today you might not be able to do tomorrow so i just go into it for my practice and i think that also translates off the mat uh you're allowed to be in the moment more you're not thinking about the future you're not thinking about the past it's just you in that moment and i think um that also helps you build that kind of self awareness and kind of be mindful in the moment it's a practice that you take on the mat and translate it off the mat hmm interesting and when you talked about the conflict with the ego the identity what was also coming to my mind is that there are two spritis that simultaneously exist uh one who is practicing yoga for herself and is in that space to lose your own identity and trying to go to that space where you experience emptiness sort of uh, a space where there is complete clarity complete stillness the other is dealing with a commotion and also in terms of when you look at yoga as a learning medium you probably would have learned uh, it as two forms of learning one as informative and other as sort of transformative one that leaves you transformed like for example uh, the act of cycling or uh, swimming you will never forget that once you have learned that and i'm sure there is one part of yoga which allows you to never forget now once you have picked up that skill you will never forget uh, but the other part which is informative you have to also be mindful of that which you perhaps have to bring to the outer world when you're dealing with that commotional to the world with the commotion 
that you have to inform them, you have to instruct them, this is step one, this is how you're supposed to do it, this is step two, this is step three, and so on and so forth. So I'm kind of rooting this in terms of parallels, that one, that Smriti, who is in touch with the emptiness, in touch with the self, there is no ego, there is no identity. And there you can apply your transformative learning, you can mend your steps and be yourself. The other is in the commotion. Do these two identities coexist and do these two forms of learning also happen? Transformative and informative learning. I think to some extent, yes. In my personal practice, it's about me. The transformation is my experience and up to me, it's under my control. Um, when I'm teaching, I think how I look at teaching is that, yes, I give them some instruction. I tell them about the benefits or what could happen through the practice. But I'm just a guide as a teacher. Their, their experience is not my experience. It's not under my control as well. It's up to them. Um, I have to give them the ability of being in their own driver's seat. So I'm in no control. I am just a guide. And I don't put too much pressure on myself also uh, in order to, like, just because I experience something does not mean someone else has to experience that, right? Uh, what might be transformative for me might not be transformative for someone else. And that's something you see every day. Not Yoga is not even for everyone. Someone else might have a different method of achieving the same um, kind of feeling, kind of calmness within themselves, emptiness within themselves. So I think occasionally, obviously, is a conflict because I'm so excited about my experience that I want to share it with someone else. But I can really not put too much pressure on that. For me, I just share what I've learned or what I've experienced and I leave it at that. And what about the coexistence of these two where uh, you are in that state? Like you said, uh, you want to share that experience of emptiness with others, but you can't really do that. Uh, and, and that space of emptiness and the other, in, like you said, how do you deal with that when you're comparing yourself with somebody else on Instagram, let's say? Um, I mean, f <laughs> uh, I think the only duty to yourself is to put the work in. You cannot attach your happiness to the outcome of your situation. And that can be any situation. But for me, learning that off the mat has allowed me to transform it outside my mat, not at attaching my happiness to the outcome. Um, and I don't use the word detach on purpose. Um, Non-attachment takes a conscious effort. And it, I think conflict will always arise, but it's up to you in that moment to see, okay, I can either react this way or I can react this way. Uh, it's always a choice when you see other people or especially today when there's so much social media around you. It's just a conscious choice. You have to understand that you are on your journey and that journey is no one else's. So uh, when you talk about social media or fast-paced life, so myself and Shantesh in some of our previous podcasts have been discussing about, especially during the pandemic, how life has been a bit slow. So we were taken aback during the uh, disaster and then so many people realized that whatever uh, fast life they were living and whatever pace they were having in their life, in most of the times it was not necessary they were chasing things for no reason um, just because everyone else is running we were also running we don't know why and 
suddenly during the pandemic many people realized that they should bring some slowness in life now with that context smriti how do you see uh, uh, your personal journey when it comes to yoga and slowness in life so bringing a little bit of calmness slowness in and when i'm saying slowness it is about everything from the uh, mind to the body in all aspects how do we bring slowness in our uh, day to day life and uh, how can yoga support that kind of a approach towards yeah. life Sure. So I'm going to talk about this a bit in the medical term because I feel like it's easier to understand what's actually happening when you're practicing yoga uh, rather than make it kind of abstract with my experience. So to be healthy, your body needs to be in balance or have homeostasis. And one of the most important parts of keeping the body in homeostasis is keeping your nervous system in balance. The autonomic nervous system has two parts, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, um, where the sympathetic is in charge of your flight or fight response and your parasympathetic is in charge of your rest and digest aspect. So essentially, we have this fight or flight mode in order to survive. And it, it's activated when we're stressed. The early man probably triggered it when he was in physical, actual physical danger, which was the body's automatic response to give him a chance to protect himself, either fight or flee. And nowadays, I feel like we're overstimulated, we're stressed, we're fatigued, we're overwhelmed. Um, and the body's constantly exposed to all these uh, stimulations, right? Something's like pinging at you all the time. And uh, the body thinks that it's perpetually in danger. And so the parasympathetic, ner- the sympathetic nervous system just doesn't shut off. And we're never able to actively switch to rest and digest mode which is why we see so many detrimental effects of prolonged stress. And what this pandemic actually did was that because we weren't constantly exposed to that stress, we naturally slowed down. It was a very automatic, normal response to the situation. When we allowed our lifestyle to slow down, our body and mind slowed down as well. And we realized that there's something more than just being stressed all the time. And that also has a lot of effect on our immune system as well people realized that their health was better, they slept better. And I feel like yoga is a powerful antidote in this sense, because it helps regulate your parasympathetic nervous system and improves our body's rest and digest function over the course of a practice. And that obviously starts with asana. What happens is that we have a lot of energy within us. We have our body is doing its thing. It's already responding to these uh, stimulations that we have. So we Start by controlling the body by doing asana so that when we move to breath and mind, it becomes easier. You're not distracted by your body or what's happening within your body. We work with the body, leave that aside, then move on to your breath and your mind. And there are, over the course of the pandemic, there are powerful practices like yoga nidra, for example, which is the yogic sleep or meditation. Uh, A lot of people have started practicing that in order to help still their mind. It's something that you practice usually after your asana or isolated as well. But what we do in that practice is we try to relax each part of the body first by mentally rotating your awareness through it. And then we move on to your breath and your mind. And the results have been fabulous over the course of the pandemic. It's also helped people come out of their COVID healing as well. So what happens is that you are naturally triggering that parasympathetic nervous system, which also helps with your immune system. And um, yeah, the benefits are, it's, it's scientifically proven. Yeah, I mean, not to get into too technical side of yoga, but I'm just kind of looking at the other side. For example, if I'm on stage for the first time and I see a crowd of 500 people, suddenly my body becomes cold, my heart starts pounding. 
and we can see quite naturally that what our mental state is having an impact on our physical body we have during the interview or any uh, sort of a job interview that we are going for again natural response is that uh, our mental state is to be focused to get that and that pressure creates an impact on the body and we suddenly feel that uh, uh, our, our palms are turning cold our heart is pounding and so on and so forth if we are excited elated there is another sense on our body if there is something suddenly unexpected that happens and you are joyous you may also uh, emotionally moves you you get goosebumps now our mental state has an impact on our body does that work vice versa as well that if you really focus on your body does that really help tune your mental state for sure definitely that's an excellent point um that's what you say you're anxious on stage right and you try to take a few deep breaths to calm yourself down you're mimicking your breath as how it would be when you're calm uh, you would be able to take deeper breaths when you're calm so you start doing that and automatically your mind kind of uh, says okay maybe i'm not that tense anymore maybe i'm actually calm and it actually starts to calm your mind down uh, so definitely your physical kind of your physical response to your body has an impact on your mind as well it's not just that your mind has an impact on your body and again addressing it from that fight or flight perspective so when you're nervous you're obviously in fight mode your body starts uh, sweating you have shortness of breath um and by actually breathing deeper you're triggering that parasympathetic nervous system so it tells you to calm down it tells your body you're not in a real danger um and hence it does allow you to calm down yeah because i think i'm always amazed by this aspect where uh, we have how the mind body connection actually kind of works so i'm i'm really kind of fascinated with that and, and in that context i only can see certain logic to our mind and body and it works like a machine and sometimes it suddenly becomes so unpredictable so this two kind of ways coexist simultaneously so it's so difficult to understand and i think in that sense in today's world understanding our own body has become so important particularly when we are bombarded with information and too much of stimulation from all sides yeah smriti so a little bit of personal question now so when it comes to your uh, future creations like when it comes to yoga you, at a very young age you have achieved whatever you have achieved so that means there is a lot of things which you might be planning or uh, envisaging so what are the things when it comes to yoga particularly but in general also you can explain or add some of the things but then what are the things which you see and what is possible now for you so within my practice itself thinking about the future leaves me very excited um because it means i have 5 years or 10 years to work on myself and maybe i'll be in a different space i don't really think about oh will i be able to achieve this in 5 or 10 years um i just think if i work every day i'm sure my life will be different in 5 or 10 years that's with my physical practice also with my teaching i see um the only way i can teach better is to teach more and i'm also excited about the fact that in 5 or 10 years i might be a better teacher than i am today i still attend classes from other teachers i get very excited to see or to experience other people's classes because it makes me feel that okay um, i'm attending this class today i learned this 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 today uh, and i can improve my teaching in this particular way or i can um, inculcate this in my practice so it's always about constantly learning and i'm very open to learning at the moment which is why it leaves me excited and in general how i see my life with yoga is that 
it is a part of my life. I will be practicing it for the rest of my life. And in terms of teaching, I hope to transition to yoga eventually uh, of that being my full-time job. I, not that I don't, I, I like, I don't like design any better. I do love um, them equally, but I just feel that for me, like I said in the beginning, that health and wellness is my priority uh, and I want it to be my lifestyle. Um, I want it to be my prime goal in life. Um, and the only way I, I feel that I can achieve that um, fully to my satisfaction is to throw myself into it completely. So eventually, like long-term goal, I see myself as a yoga teacher and practitioner. Wow. I, it takes a lot to say that and because there is, that requires a greater clarity in that sense. Uh, but when you said uh, you still are a designer and I'm, I'm, I, from that designer's point of view or any profession's point of view, I just wanted to ch- sort of ask you in that sense that as a designer also, there is a time when you lose yourself. There's a sense of oneness with the work that you're doing. There is flow in that work. And do you call that experience as well as yoga and what? how do you see yoga influencing your designer side um i think i'm not going to say that it it affects the way i design um but it affects how i handle um scenarios i'm put in when i'm in that designer's seat i've learned to take it one step at a time again not uh, being worried about the outcome of like say when I'm designing something, not thinking too much about, oh my God, what is this going to turn out to be? Uh, will it be good? Will it be bad? Will they like it? So I just want to, uh, I just try to stay in the moment and do that work. Like you said, that flow state, uh, try to stay in that as much as possible, try to enjoy that as much as possible. And I don't, I wouldn't like attach like a definition saying, okay, just because I'm in, in this flow state, does that mean I'm doing yoga? I think everyone can come up with their own definitions of um, yoga. But as long as you're, I don't know, I don't know how to explain this further. Let me, let me think for a second. It's all right. Um, I, I don't really have an answer. No, that's okay. Because I'm, I'm just, I was very curious for me personally, when I'm in the world of design and there are moments, not every time, and I don't know even how to achieve that consciously. But sometimes it's a Wednesday morning. Now, how exciting could Wednesdays be? Uh, but you are there in the office, you are there in the studio, sitting with a piece of paper and you start doodling. You don't have a clarity how this design is going to turn out. And then you keep doodling and half a day is gone and you feel that it, those were just a few minutes and my God, it's already lunchtime. And you may have solved also your design concerns that were there. And there is a sense of calmness. There's a sense of satisfaction, a wholeness from within. To me, I was kind of linking that experience also to be in the state of yoga as union, not as yoga understood uh, uh, to be series of exercises. So I was kind of curious to see how that experience would have been. I also wanted to ask you of your first time experience do you remember that about being in that state of whole and complete um when i'm practicing yoga you mean or like when i'm designing either way doesn't matter but but that first time you get a sense of you as an individual but without the identity without the ego there is that complete stillness 
Yeah, definitely. I think it happened during my teacher training, um, like mid practice. Uh, it was a very like safe space. It was a very small group. We were allowed to express ourselves completely. So I think uh, I think I cried in the middle of practice one day because I just I just let go for a minute or so, and I think that really allowed me to see the power of like just self awareness or of being with yourself. It doesn't doesn't mean that you're completely still. It could be your mind could be turbulent, but expressing yourself in that moment that that was very powerful for me, and I think that was like a moment that really stayed with me, and I I think about it a lot. Um, of course, it's happened multiple times since then, but it really allowed me to see how you got you got a taste of kind of you get kind of get a taste of how that feels, and not that you have to keep chasing that, right? I don't do yoga to keep. Uh, to chase that and to chase that feeling to get it back again because i know that that moment has passed but i think that it happens sometimes depending on how you're practicing or your mental state um, it can happen even when you're just having a normal day but i think that was like one of the first times that i really experienced what it meant what this practice meant to me and i don't think i've stopped since then <laughs> because for me i i I can totally understand this experience and crying in that sense when you mentioned is not to be misunderstood as uh, an emotional disturbance or not to be understood with sadness or something like that. This is in fact uh, the opposite. Uh, it's a complete sense of peace that that you let go of yourself. And and it happened to me once while I was driving that you know I'm driving and I'm seeing meadows of trees in front of me and to the expanse that i could see was only trees and it was not even bright day it was dusk and i lost a sense of who i am and there are there, there is a moment where you see how minuscule you are and you see how you exist and and then on the other side my rational side is telling me you are driving and you are at the speed of 80 so you have to really be careful and i was alone and you take a pause pull the car on the side and stay still for a few minutes and then start driving and there is suddenly that calmness so it's so difficult to put that into experience but what is even more difficult is to try and finding that formula how to reach that consciously or how to achieve that state uh, consciously so i'm i'm like really curious that does yoga help you reach that consciously or have you come across somebody who can do that consciously I think people in people practicing yoga on a regular basis are able to kind of find that a lot of that comes again with stilling the mind and that self awareness and when you do that and when you also have like this I would say with practice also comes a lot of uh, self love and self compassion um and like like the moment you uh, described I felt like I felt like it, you would have felt joyful and compassionate at that moment and i think that it just comes from within you know you're you're grateful for the situation you're in or what you're surrounded with and i feel like these questions are getting vague so it's really uh hard for me to describe it in words wow i never thought mm-hmm. it would actually be this hard to describe a like an experience you know that like you have experienced but someone else might not have no but the point here is not to describe per se because even if you describe the experience of 
cycling or swimming, the other person will never get it. Yeah. That person has to experience it. It is also a point of just trying to connect with the self. Uh, and and I really wanted these questions to linger on my mind, to take it through my day and just be mindful about it. Uh, uh, the point is, I cannot experience what you experience. Yeah. So I can only take these questions. I can listen to your words and then probably be able to connect with my own experience. And and even if not, these questions will always stay with me. And that is what exactly what I, I really look for. So I don't see this as a recording for listening of others or informative per se. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so don't worry about that. I think it's all right. Yeah, and uh, uh, Smriti, when it comes to um, getting more practice or uh, understanding of the topic, uh, one is to actually practice it, which I think is the best way and which you are doing already. But then in addition to that, are there any other means like reading books about yoga or listening to audio cassettes or watching videos? Is that also a means to cognitively understand the topic much better and enhance your uh, knowledge and experience about it? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. There are a lot of books written by very renowned yogis or late yogis that are still things that we study when we're looking at yoga. For example, Light on Yoga by BKS Iyengar or the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. So Patanjali wrote a, a sutra as a, a thread or a, a thread of thought, right? So he wrote down what yoga is or what yoga is for in the form of these sutras. And there are transliterations of that that explain what each sutra is because it was initially in Sanskrit. So that's a great way to understand why we do the practice or what the practice is meant for. Um, and then there are modern texts as well, but there are also historical texts. Like if you look at the Bhagavad Gita, there are instances of yoga in that of why someone should practice yoga. Um, so information is all around. It's a great way to learn about the practice. And I think learning about the practice, not just in the current context, but going back to the past to really understand how it began, why they did it then, how we do it now. Uh, things evolve over a course of time as they always should. But you always need to know your roots and where you come from. Um, so I say, uh, so anyone interested in like yoga as a subject would, I would highly recommend going back and looking at those things. Um, and there are also modern uh, blogs like Yoga Journal that keep coming up with um, topics on a day-to-day -day basis to kind of demystify yoga in a way and kind of put it in a way the public would easily absorb. Yeah, so there is knowledge all around. The best way, obviously, is to learn by practicing it, but these are great ways to uh, improve your practice or you can just do it side by side and it would really uh, help your understanding of the subject. I now had a few sort of practical questions that were coming up on my mind. One was about diet and yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a certain diet that one follows or does it naturally come or do you observe what need your body needs and provide and nourish that accordingly? How does it work? Uh, traditionally, yoga works hand in hand with Ayurveda. So you could base your diet on an Ayurvedic diet based on your body type. So all of us have different body types and each of us need different things for our body. And these are called, say, the body types are called doshas. Um, and you do uh, basically take this test uh, or an Ayurvedic practitioner will kind of uh, make you answer a few questions and tell you about your body type. And according to that, he'll tell you what foods suit you and what foods don't suit you. Uh, our diet also actually needs to change with seasons because our body responds to seasons. So all of this has been already laid down, but 
having said that, you don't have to eat a particular diet to be able to uh, receive the benefits of yoga. But it goes hand in hand with a good diet. And I think um, for me, at least what happened personally was I enjoyed kind of keeping my body clean a lot. Um, and it just happened automatically that I didn't crave like junk food as much or um, I didn't indulge as much in vices like alcohol because my, my body just like kind of rejected it in a way. Uh, and that, that just happened. And I've actually spoken to a lot of people about this, that how their diets have changed by just regular practice. And I, I've met like hardcore non-vegetarians who just like didn't like meat anymore. Uh, and they've just given that up after a regular practice. Not to say that that's what everyone should do. It's just your body reacting to the practice. But I think that you don't have to actively change your diet. Sometimes it works the other way around that the practice changes your diet. Hmm. Another question which was coming to my mind is yoga is such a sort of transformative way of learning. Uh, and it's so difficult to teach in the first place because how can you teach an experience? Uh, but you can only sort of guide them and instruct them in a certain way and uh, people will fall 10 times and then eventually learn cycling and get the experience of balance. So, so it goes with yoga. In the times of pandemic, most of the yoga sessions are happening online. I have attended none, but I, I, I can assume that it must be so difficult. How are you kind of conducting that and uh, how do you, do you conduct for an entire batch online or one-to-one? -one? How does that work actually? So I currently conduct only one-on-one -on -one classes. Um, so like in the beginning of the pandemic, the first year, I was very reluctant towards online classes. I just didn't want to teach online because I liked having that uh, physical presence with my student. I feel that you were, the student learns with visual cues, verbal cues, your body language itself. And that was so important to me to be in that environment. But especially after my second teacher training, I felt that, I mean, you have to adapt with the times. And I did try a few online classes and it obviously takes a bit of back and forth and each student responds to it differently. Uh, not everyone can learn online um, the same way, especially when it comes to like practicing asana or um, the other aspects of yoga. But like my goal when I went into teaching online was that I wanted to be, I wanted to instruct the student in a way that they didn't have to look at the screen as much. When you're doing a recorded class, for example, you're always looking at the screen and then there's no one to monitor what your posture is or your alignment is. You're just looking at the screen, you're mimicking that and going ahead with it. But what I do with my practice is that I tell them to look at the screen as less as possible. Uh, and I, that also helped me kind of fine tune the instruction I gave. It had to be with more clarity. They had to be able to grasp and understand the cues quickly. And yeah, I feel that that's how I teach. And I think that's a, that's a good way to look at this, con uh, this um, situation we're in, um, is that how can we kind of get them, even though we're all surrounded by technology right now, how can we get them to detach from technology even when it's the only way for them to learn? So while there are certain challenges, it also actually, I can see that is opening up people from anywhere around the world, yeah. uh, be taking training from anybody around the world. And uh, so the informative part at least can be definitely imparted. Uh, and, and it's the experience that is the journey that one has to stride on their own. So with that, I think we should complete our conversation. Uh, before we complete, Smriti, uh, just in case if somebody have follow-up questions or if they want to reach out to you, uh, is that okay with you? How can they reach out to you? Could you share that? 
Yeah, for sure. You can reach out to me on my Instagram, either the Smriti Sundar or Smriti Sundar. I have one for my yoga and one my regular Instagram, but both are open um, to the public and um, they can hit me up. I'll be putting the link in the description for anybody who wishes to follow Smriti on Instagram or reach out to her for formal training or if you have any queries and follow-up questions of this podcast because I'm not touching most of the regular questions. Perhaps we have just kind of took this into whichever way we have in the conversation. Thank you so much, Smriti. It was wonderful speaking with you and listening from you. With that, we complete our today's conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more such podcasts and daily writings, subscribe us on creating13.com. That is creating13.com. We request you to share this podcast with your friends and family and anyone who may be interested in such topics. Your sharing will only help us to reach out to people and to serve our cause. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. We've put the links in the description. You can also listen to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform now. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and we wish to have you with us again next week for listening a new episode. Until then, take care.